Yo, hey, you tell them heaven is my destination. Until I reach there, I'm teaching this kingdom education. Hey, don't be scared to lay your hands on the sick. And don't be scared to cast the devil out quick. Cause your obedience will unlock a miracle, though. Don't act hysterical, radical, born again, fully. This is the Gospel Unbroken Podcast with Kevin and Alex. Let's awaken the lion. up everybody welcome back to the gospel unbroken i am kevin and today we are going to fly solo uh it's just me in the house today alex is um like we talked about before a little busy off doing some things and so it's it's just us so i thought today um since we've had um some pretty amazing gentlemen on talking about their stories and their journeys in Christ. And, you know, I've said before that I think there is immense power uh, in each person's testimony. I thought that it would behoove me to not be a hypocrite uh, and come on here and, and talk about my story. That seemed like a good conversation to do solo. So that's what we're going to do today. Um, we actually, um, the first attempt at recording a podcast, Alex and I sat down and we talked about my story and we had some audio uh, difficulties and so it never came out and I'm kind of glad it didn't because uh, looking back I, I would have discussed some things a little differently because there's been some heat on some things I've said. But I came to the understanding or but I, I came to the realization that uh, this is not my story. This is not anybody else that has been involved in this. This isn't their story. This is God's story. This is the, the, the a story of the power of Jesus. And so I'm going to tell the story. And I'm going to tell it the best way that I know how. And it may, it may upset some people. It may not. I don't know. Um, but I'm going to tell it the best way that I know how. And so that's what we're going to do today. So, you know, I hope you guys can get something from this. I hope you guys enjoy it. Um, this isn't an easy story for me to tell. It's been a long journey uh, to get to this point. So, you know, I've done a lot of therapy sessions and I've done some, some psychological evaluations, uh, not because I'm crazy, uh, but because I was trying to do some, some things career wise that required those. And a common question that, that always gets brought up in those kind of meetings or, uh, therapy sessions, you know, is often, what is your oldest memory? What's the oldest thing that you, as far back as you can remember, what, what's your first memory? And for the longest time, my answer was always along the lines of some form of trauma, some form of trouble that I had growing up. And I will get to it in a little bit, but I think that is because the, the 
things that I'd went through, I had tried to block out so strongly in my mind that it, it blocked everything else out. Um, but I've gotten to a point now that I've gone through a lot of healing and a lot of, like I said, a lot of therapy. And, you know, at a really young age, I, I had a good childhood. I, I grew up in, in a small town. Um, you know, I was a free-range child. We lived on 90 acres. It had woods. It had a river. I mean, everything a little boy could imagine. I, I was at my disposal. You know, I remember playing with Hot Wheels and, and tractors in the dirt and walking down to the river in November to go fishing with my dad, and it's freezing. And all I wanted to do was was jump in the river. I, I played sports and you know did all those things that kids did. I rode my bike around town and terrorized the neighborhood. You know all those things. So at a very young age, I mean, I had, I guess, what you would say was a good typical small town America childhood. But with that being said, there would be a shift or a change somewhere along the lines. And my timeline may not be completely accurate. And some people out there may correct me because, you know, if they think they, they remember better, I don't know. But the, the timeline is not the point. The story is the point. And so somewhere along the line, addiction would take over in my parents' world. Um, and they would they would f- go on to fight that battle for for many years um, to many many different things and so at a very at a very young age uh, I became a part of that world myself by twelve years old I was a full on addict myself. Anything I could get my hands on that would uh, alter my perspective of reality and would alter the world that I was living in, it would make me feel good. If it if if it checked any of those boxes, I I wanted it, and you know I had I had tried all all things by the time I was twelve. I had smoked marijuana. I had smoked crack, I had smoked black tar heroin. I mean, I had done things that you you couldn't imagine. And one thing I hadn't done was mess with any kind of pills. And somehow, I don't remember, but I got my hand on my hands on these bottle I got my hands on a bottle of pills. And so I go to school and I'm I'm before first period starts, I'm I'm hanging out with this kid, and I said, "Look, look what I got! I got these." And he he says, "Oh, have you taken any?" And I said, "No, not no." He says, well, you should take some. And I said, oh, "I don't know how many to take." And he goes, "Oh, just I don't know, take a ha- take a couple." So I take a handful of these pills, and down the hatch they go. Well, like ten fifteen minutes goes by, and and, and nothing's happening. I don't feel anything. And up until this point, every drug that I had done was essentially an instant 
or very quick high. And so I tell him, I said, I don't, I don't feel anything. I don't, I don't think it's working. And I said, well, maybe I should take some more. So I take another handful. And I don't know how much longer after it that was. My lights went out. And to make a long story short, I had collapsed in class, fell off the desk, and, and nobody really had an idea what was going on. So it took me to the nurse's office uh, and ultimately ended up calling um, the paramedics, and, and I was taken to the hospital. And I had overdosed on Valium. And if I remember correctly, uh, they said I had basically taken enough Valium to kill a horse. And and this would start uh, another major change in my life. Um, and my, my sister, I have three sisters. I have one younger sister and two older sisters. Uh, and my oldest sister may correct this timeline. Uh, I'm not sure. Um, but I believe it, this was the point at which, because when I went to the hospital, nobody was able to um, get a hold of my parents. And I believe at the time, uh, my sister was, she was a volunteer firefighter. And however, which way, somebody ended up getting a hold of her. And this would start um, a big change. Uh, a CPS investigation would be filed. But like anything else, you know, with the state, uh, these things take time. And so some time went by, uh, probably a year or so, a year and a half or so, um, would go by before something would actually happen. And I remember this one day, me and a buddy of mine and, and these two girls were down hanging out the river. And, you know, we're smoking pot and hanging out and just, you know, thinking we got the world at the palm of our hands. And my mom showed up down this dirt road, I mean, at full speed in my dad's truck. And she got out of the truck and she comes down and she goes, Kevin, get in the truck, we're going home. And at that point, you know, I didn't have much rules in my life. I kind of did what I wanted, did it however I wanted, and I really didn't respect any kind of authority. And, and so naturally I was like, no, I'm not going home. And she gave me this look, I'll never forget it. She looked at me and she goes, Kevin, get in the truck. And so I knew something was not right. And so I get in the truck and I go home. And CPS is at the house. I don't know if they were there at the house or if they showed up shortly after we got back. Um, but there's CPS, there's the sheriff's department, and my sister, and I believe her fiance at the time, were all there. And basically said, you can't live here anymore. Uh, you're going to come stay with us temporarily until, you know, mom and dad get their things figured out and then you can go back. And, you know, initially I'm like, no, not going. Well, I ended up, I, I went, I didn't really have a choice. Um, so I, I, I go with them and I would go on to make my sister and, uh, her fiance at the time, who she would then marry, I went on to make their lives miserable. 
because, you know, at this time, you know, I believe my sister was 21, I think, at the time, which would have made him 23, somewhere there, give or take. So, you know, they're just children, too. And I was rebellious. I I hated them. I thought I hated them. Uh, I just wanted to be back at home where I could do whatever I wanted. And so I... I made their lives very, very difficult. So I, I went on. I continued to skip school, continued to get high, doing all the things that I that I wanted to do. And, and one day, I had I had wrote an excuse. I'd wrote I'd, I'd wrote a letter that said I had to go to the dentist or the doctor or something, and and forged it in my at the time brother in law's name. And so I left, and I go to the skate park and. I'm just hanging out. Well, by this point, my sister is uh, she's an EMT in the town that my, my high school's in. Well, she was going to come pick me up and take me to lunch that day. And so she she comes to school to, to get me, and they're like, uh, he's already signed out. So she comes, and, and she finds me at the skate park and takes me back to the fire station and, and basically locks me in a room. And... So, so then, you know, at, at some point, uh, she had told me later that she had had a conversation with my, my grandma and papa and she was saying, I, I, you know, I just don't know what to do. I don't know how to help them. I don't know if I can do this. And I'm going to paraphrase cause I don't know if this is quote for quote what was said, but my papa looked at her and said, you know, sometimes you just got to wash your hands. And well, that was what my sister did. <coughs> She took me uh, to basically uh, an orphanage in a, a town down the road, and basically pulled up, dropped me off, and said, "I, you know, I can't, I can't take care of you anymore. You're, you're on your own." And so initially, I'm like, "Yeah, I don't need you, whatever." And I it. It couldn't have been more than like two days. And I'm calling her and I'm like, I need out of here. Come get me. I'll do whatever you want. And so this would lead to her saying, okay, under one condition, you're you're going to rehab. Okay, I'm in. So at 14 years old, I went and spent 37 days in an inpatient rehab facility. Uh, and then got out from there and, and went back home. And I, I did pretty good from that point on, I would say, for the most part. You know, I still would go to the high school parties here and there and drink some beer here and there and, and, and do this and do that. Uh, but eventually, because I was so far behind in school, eventually I would drop out and went and started working at a concrete plant. And somehow I found myself living in a trailer in a shop at a friend's house right back in the world that I did not want to be a part of. I'm living in a trailer in a shop and I'm selling drugs and I'm a high school dropout. And so I knew, I knew that I had to get away. I I knew that I had to get away from this town. Uh, if, if I wanted any kind of hope, but I thought I was, you know, I was too stupid I wasn't getting into college. I didn't have the resources. So I wasn't sure how I was going to get 
away or what I was going to do. Because again, here I am, a high school dropout and a, a drug dealer. And so it had always been in the back of my mind that, that I wanted to join the military. Well, that seemed like the prime opportunity. And so I went on and joined the United States Marine Corps where I would I would spend five years as a helicopter crew chief stationed in Japan. And at that time, you know, we were party animals. You know, anybody that you talked to that was that was out there, I mean, it was a different it was a different world. I mean, multiple nights a week. Like it was it was a big party. I mean, we worked hard. We we gave it everything we had, but we partied even harder. But you know, all in all, the Marine Corps was an amazing experience for me. It was it was the growing up that I needed. It was it was exactly what I needed. And so, just to kind of brush over that, I don't really want to dive into my time in the military in the Marine Corps. Um, but I would you know then I I, I got out at twenty three, and I had no plan, no idea what I was going to do. I just knew that I was getting out. And I would go figure it out. And so I get out, I move back home. I start, you know, collecting unemployment and I'm just hanging out. And I, I, by this point, I've, I've developed a pretty healthy drinking habit. And so I go right back to hanging out with some high school buddies. And before you know it, I'm back to, to hanging out in the bars and drinking, hanging out. And, you know, I start working this job and that job not really doing anything of significance and the childhood traumas uh, start to take a toll on me and instead of addressing them uh, I continue to suppress them down by drinking more and drinking more and eventually I get to a point where you know I'm consuming seven bottles of Jack Daniels a week and just fall on out of control. And you know, as I look back um, now, I can see along my journey these places that, that, you know, God was trying to send me a sign and he was trying to throw me a life raft. And, you know, I know I've talked about it before, but, you know, I didn't, I didn't grow up in the church or anything like that. I, I, I didn't have any, any faith. And so... Here was here was life raft number one that that God tried to throw me or or the sign however you want to want to look at it, um, but one night I decide uh, that I'm just gonna get obliterated drunk again like I I did every night, except this night I was gonna get in my truck and go for a drive, and this drive would th- this drive would end um, with me wrapping my truck around a telephone pole at, I believe the police report said anywhere between 80 and hundred miles an hour. And I was ejected and I was in, I was in pretty rough shape. You know, I had fractured my, my back in multiple places. My head was split wide open. They weren't, you know, they weren't sure if my brain was swelling. I mean, I was, I was in, I was in bad shape and I was extremely lucky to be alive to say the least. And, you know, you think that that would have been, okay, here's a reality check. Um, I need to, I need to start figuring some things out. And, 
you know, I, I've, I've said this for a long time and I, I don't think I actually believed it until not too long ago, but I, I always said, well, there's, there's a reason I'm alive and I'm determined to figure out what that reason is. And the truth is that I wasn't living that way after the accident. I said I was, but I wasn't. And so, you know, over the next couple of years, I would, I would go through the process of jumping through all the court's hoops from a DUI um, and the healing process and things like that. But instead of addressing what I knew was the issue, I did what I had always done, and I ran from it. I joined the Marine Corps to run from everything, and then I came back, and here I am again. Well, the only way I know how to deal with this is is I need to run. So I moved. I moved away. I moved to California um, to go chase another dream down there, and that 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 didn't work. Say, for lack of words, it it just it didn't work. And by this point, you know, I'm living in California. I'm I'm now engaged, um, and things don't go as planned, and we split up. And so again, I played a huge role in this, but instead of addressing the issues, well, the only thing I know what to do is just keep running. And so I found my way to Colorado, uh, where my sister's husband had got me plugged in with some of his family out there. And I started working out there and, you know, things were going good and work was good. Business was growing all those things, I, I had found myself in this relationship, uh, you know, thought this is where I want to be, this is, I'm, I'm building a family, things are going great, until they're not. And I find myself in, a, in another situation, except this time, now I'm in a jail cell. And I had done some things and said some things I probably shouldn't have done, and I, I wind up in jail. And I spend a few nights uh, in jail, and when I get out and I go back home, the house is empty, and everything is gone. This life that I I had known and I'd built and I thought I wanted was gone in in the blink of an eye. And so I laid there for days in this empty house, uh, not sure what I was going to do. It was a very, very, very dark uh, cave to be in, and a crazy thing happened. A guy that I had met, you know, previously and, and kind of started to get to know at the gym uh, randomly calls me up and he says, hey, you know, hey, man, how you doing? I was like, I'm, I'm good. What's up? He's like, oh, I just calling to, you know, I hadn't seen you in a while. I hadn't heard from you. And, you know, God put it on my heart to reach out to you and see how things were going. I was like, oh, I'm good. Knowing full well that I'm not, I am not good at all. Like I am the furthest thing from good. And he says, all right, well, you know, if you're not doing anything on Sunday, like, you should come to church with me. Yeah, man, that's not for me. But but I appreciate things. All right, well, you know, if you change your mind, I'll be there. So, all right, cool. Right on. And so, get off the phone. I'm not going. I, I, no, not going. Well, I wake up that Sunday morning. and. God had done something to me because I woke up and for whatever reason, I was like, all right, the heck with it. I'm going to go. 
I'm just going to go. I'm going to sneak in. I'm going to slide in the back. I'm going to sit down in the back row. This guy's going to talk for a little bit, and then I'm going to leave. So I go. I sit down, and I'm sitting there, and dude sits down right next to me. And I, I knew you were going to come. I'm like, okay. And so they go through. They do their worship music. And, and this is the typical where you hear I, I, you know, I went, I sat down and it was like the preacher was talking to me. And the first thing he says is, have you ever thought that the life that you're living is actually the thing that's holding you back from living the life that you really want to live? And man, I start crying. Just tears rolling. And it was the, the, the typical story that you hear. And, and from that point on, like I was, I was hooked. I was determined. I was, I was reading the Bible. I was, I was consuming, and, you know, consuming it in every which way I could. I didn't miss a service. Um, but like I, I, the truth is I don't think I was really in it. I don't think I, I had fully grasped it yet. But I, I, you know, I decided like at this point it's time to make some changes. And so, you know, I decide I'm going to go back to school. I want to be a pilot. Um, I'm going to do all these things. And, and so I start jumping through the hoops to make this happen. And, you know, I'm I'm in the transition process of, of making this happen. And I get a phone call from my mom. And she says, hey, I just want you to know I have cancer. I don't want to talk about it. Um, and when I know more, I'll, I will let you know, but I really don't want to talk about it right now. And and that was the extent of our conversation. And so, and so, you know, I get off the phone and I'm very confused. And, okay, so... She calls me back, you know, I think the next day or, or, or whatever. And she's like, sorry, I just, I, I wanted you to know, but I wasn't ready to talk about it. And, you know, at this point, we don't really have much information. I need to go back in for some more testing and, and whatnot. And then, then we'll go from there. And I said, okay, well, I'm, I'll, I'll come home and I want to come home and see you. So I, I go home for a couple of weeks and, so I'm there, and I don't remember if it was while I was home or just after I'd you know, left, um, but basically she had found out that she had stage four cancer in her lungs and in her throat, and it had metastasized to her bones, and they were giving her three to six months to live. And so I, I had no intentions of moving home. I had no intentions of, you know, coming back ever. And so I asked her, I said, okay, what do you want me to do? What do you, what do you, what do you need me to do? And she said, you know, I think it's time you come home. And for whatever reason, I, I felt like that was God talking to me. And I said, okay, I'll be there. And so I moved home. And I, I go back to, to working for a very close 
friend of mine, I would call them family, um, you know, and just spending time with my mom. And I had to, I, I, I didn't talk about it earlier. I've mentioned it on the podcast, uh, but I had, I'd gone through lots of therapy up until this point. Um, I did, a, I did a lot of therapy in Colorado and, and things like that. And, but there was one thing that I'd never addressed. And as a child, I'd been molested by a family member. And I had never talked about it. I had, in, in a very brief moment, told my therapist, like, yep, I was molested, but I don't want to talk about it. And that was it. That was the extent in which I'd ever spoken these words about this situation to anybody. And so I move home uh, to be to be closer to my mom, and I I see this person that molested me, and we we get in a in an argument or a heated discussion about a, a topic not relevant, and. So I, I leave this this altercation and I get to the end of their driveway and I just start crying. I mean, uncontrollably crying and I can't figure out why I can't stop crying. And it was like, it was clear as day, like God talked to me and he says, it's time. You have to, you have to, you have to deal with this. You have to confront this. You have to handle this. And, but, you know, I'm like, I, I, I don't know how. And so that Sunday, I go to church and I had never been baptized. And, this is why I said before, I, I don't think I had fully grasped my relationship with Jesus when I, when I had first started going to the church. And so that Sunday, I get baptized. And it, I came out of that water a completely different person. It was like I had this new level of strength that I did not know that I could possess. It was a, it was a life changing moment for me. A couple days goes by and I sit down with, um, another family member and I said, I need to tell you something. I need, I need to tell you something that happened. And I proceed to tell her about the person that molested me. And then I went on to confront the person that molested me. And then a couple of days later, I went and sat in a, um, a veterans group in front of, at the church I was going to at the time, I, I, they had a, a veterans group that, you know, a bunch of vets would get together and talk about the gospel and stuff like that. And they were going through this deal where people were telling their testimony. And I sat down in front of a group of men that I didn't know, and I told the entire story, and I didn't hold back any details. It is true what they say in Matthew 10.39. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. 
I lost my life that day that I submerged under that water. And I was given new life when I came up. Here I had gone 20-something years without ever speaking of this and ever talking about it, without ever dealing with it. And in a matter of days, I had talked about it. I had confronted it. I had spoke about it in front of strangers. That is the, the saving power of God. That is, what he, that is what he gives us. He, Jesus came for me. I was broken. I was destroyed. I was an orphan. I was an addict. I was lost. I was a castaway. But Jesus says in Luke 5.31, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. He says, I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners and need to repent. I was sick. And the only way I was going to get healthy was with Jesus. And that is Jesus' story. He, God is the bread of life. He gave me life. And so, you know, that, that is my story in a nutshell. That gets me to where I am today. I have an amazing life. I have two beautiful children. I have a great job. I have an amazing church family. I have a, an amazing life now. And none of that was possible without completely surrendering myself and submerging under that water that day. Because had I not done that, I do not believe that I would be where I am right now. I would still be running. I would still be a castaway. I would still be carrying that pain that I carried for decades. But I left that pain in the water. That is the power of the God that we serve. And so, I I hope that you guys got something from this. Uh, this was, again, only scratching the surface uh, of of the journey that I've been on, on on this part of God's story. Um, but thank you for listening. Thank you for letting me share. Uh, I know that it, it was a little bit of a shorter one today. Um, but I don't want to just keep rambling on to, to ramble on. I, I, I think I delivered the point in the way I wanted to deliver it. Completely surrender yourselves to God. The things that can happen when you do that is unthinkable. And they will continue to be unthinkable. And just when you think that he can't do something better, he'll do something better. That is our God. He is greater than we can ever imagine. So I'm going to close this out with a prayer as always. And again, thank you all for just taking this journey with us. Uh, I know it's just me today, um, but this is this is a group effort. And, and so I greatly appreciate it. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need. Forgive us our sins, as we have forgiven those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation.
And as always, friends, stay bold, stay courageous, stay in the word. Yo, hey, you tell them heaven is my destination. Until I reach there, I'm teaching this kingdom education. Hey, don't be scared to lay your hands on the sick. And don't be scared to cast the devil out quick. Because your obedience will unlock a miracle, though. Don't act hysterical, radical, born again, fully, yes, evangelical. Hey, my commitment is consistent in my father's work. How can you say that you a Christian if you're not at work?